The same God is here this morning. The yes, same God is here this morning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And he can touch you again, even this morning. Amen. Turn, turn with me to the book of Jude. Jude uh, in the very beginning there, we're going to read from verse 17 down to verse 24. I feel, I feel a strong unction of the Holy Ghost this morning because I've been studying this particular subject I'm about to teach. But somewhere in the course of it, uh, the Lord kind of led me somewhere else. And, and sometimes the way God does it is he'll, you'll be reading and studying on something and then he'll drop something on you. Amen. It don't even, sometimes it's not even in the word of God because he speaks to us outside of the word of God. He can, he can speak to you through somebody else, through something you see, through a thought that the Lord puts in your mind. And all of a sudden he just kind of takes you down a road. And that's what the Lord has done. For me, and and I'll just I just pray that you hear what the Lord says this morning, Amen. Uh, verse seventeen, there at the beginning of Jude. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And this is interesting right here. It says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Mm. Now, what that's referring to is when we reach out to people, when we disciple people, when we're trying to save a soul, there's different ways of doing it, different approaches. And some reach out in love and compassion in order to bring somebody to the throne of grace. But there's some... Maybe, maybe you were sitting in the message the day that you were saved and they talked about hell. And the scripture says that they saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. It's a little bit more dramatic right there, but it's, it's really down to the simplicity of it. When, you, when you're saved, when the Lord saves you, you, you attain salvation from God, you're being saved from the licks of the flames of hell. Amen. It's really what's happening because there's no limbo in between. You're going to be in one place or the other, but to be saved in heaven is to be saved from hell. Amen. And so we sometimes it's appropriate to have compassion and love. You're always going to love them, but sometimes it's necessary to, in, in your speech, grab them up from the flames of hell. Amen. Some people are reached in different ways. Verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. With exceeding joy. In this section of scripture. Verse 17 through 24. We're going to focus in this morning. Because there are four points that I want to make. And 
In your bulletin, what I've got a title as is a call to persevere. But if I could title it anything else, I might call it a proven plan for the end of the world. I'm going to give you four things this morning that we need to do at the end of the age. Amen. There are, uh, all of a sudden, particularly in the last 10 years, just gobs of people that have come into an obsession over what is called doomsday prepping. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that phrase? I've got some pictures, Brother Josh, that Brother Blake's put in uh, of just some examples of people who are doomsday prepping. This is like a bunker that somebody has built out in the woods. It looks pretty solid to me. Uh, they, I, I think I see a kayak that's up against that, some supplies. Uh, you can go to the next picture, Brother Josh. This is a man who is, is famous around the world for his doomsday prepping. He's got an underground bunker that's, that's he's at the door of it right there. And he's stockpiled this place with anything that he could need in order to survive. Uh, some of them, they're thinking of a nuclear warfare. Some of them are thinking of a genocide, uh, outbreak of war, sickness, anything that could happen. These people, they're, they're, they're honing in on what they could do to stay alive and really thrive through all of that. There's another picture. They've, uh, they, they stockpiled. Uh, all kinds of rations to get them through because th they believe that there's going to be a time when there's not going to be stores or fresh food or anything like that. You better have it yourself or be able to grow it on your own. And so they'll stockpile. Uh, they've even created a television show that is just about people who doomsday prep. Right. And these, it's seasons long, and each one focuses on people, what they're doing, how well they have prepped. Uh, they rate them on a scale for how good they have done in prepping for the end of the world. And it's all according to, do they have adequate supplies? Do they have adequate shelter? Uh, do they have respirators in case of some sort of outbreak? Do they have things to defend themselves? How good have they done at prepping for all of this and they have set their eyes on the end I've got to prepare myself for the end how bad can it be and can I get my family through it this is what their concern is one of the things that they also have concern of is currency they believe that when this happens the dollar is not going to be worth a thing and so many of them do what even people outside of doomsday preppers do. They have a stockpile of gold that they believe they're going to be able to barter with because gold is understood as an asset that is not going to go down in value when the end comes. It is what some might call a liquid asset. It's going to last. It's going to last. And so people put trust in gold. A lot of people will back up their savings, everything they've got, with gold. And it's attained value throughout Earth's history when there's been a catastrophe. 
Uh, people will use it to exchange for cash, goods, and services as, the, as needed, a liquid asset. And in the kingdom of God, our liquid asset is the spirit. It's the spirit. Spirit-filled people have access to faith, love, joy, the Bible says, patience, self-control, humility, mercy, and many more goods and services that are not going to be able to be bought by anything else in this world. Amen. But if you've got the spirit in your life, amen, those without the spirit are living a bankrupt life. That's right. They can't attain things that people with the spirit can. And children of this king, our God, find that this eternal gold spins well no matter where you go. You may not have much else, but if you got the spirit, you're going to be all right. Amen. You're going to get what you need. Amen. Perseverance is what these doomsday preppers really want to have. And that's a verb that means to persist in anything undertaken, to maintain a purpose in spite of difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement, to continue steadfastly. Somebody who perseveres is simply somebody who don't give up. Amen. They don't give up because it gets tough. They don't give up just because they don't feel something on a particular day. They persevere. They don't give up. Yes. Letting go and giving up is the temptation of every Christian at some point. Come on now, be honest. Have you ever had the feeling come on to you? I could just give up. Yes. You, you can lie this morning, but everybody has had that feeling at some point. Amen. Even Job thought about it, but he persevered. Right. He persevered. Every music teacher can tell you many students give up after a short time, especially if they are attempting to play the piano. Learning to play the piano requires a lot more time and practice than most students realize. And it's not only strenuous, it's monotonous and it's unexciting until you really get good at it. Playing the same piece over and over and over again until it's mastered, that's nerve-wracking. Nerve-wracking. I'm going to tell you what I, I used to do when I was in school. I would get out of school at 3 o'clock. I would walk into our house, and I would get the key to the church at about 3.05, and I'd walk through the back door, and I'd come in here, and nobody else was here. And it's strange how a church can kind of be a creepy place when nobody else is here. I don't know why that is. But I would walk into this very room and spend at least 30 minutes to an hour a day on the drum set. And I did not know how to play it. There was nobody that was teaching me to play it. I was in the high school band, but that's just a snare drum. You had five of the drums and cymbals and, and all this to it. That's a different story. But 30 minutes to an hour, and I'd put headphones in and try to sound just exactly like whoever I was listening to. Play to that song. And do you understand how difficult it is when you're left-handed to get your dumb right hand to do something else and then get your right foot to do another thing and then maybe get your left foot to do something else you want to talk about monotonous and aggravating. I'm trying to teach uh, 
one of our students right now how to do that. And I'm explaining to him, he's getting aggravated, but I'm explaining to him, it's really simple. Your foot is dumb. And it does not want to do what you're trying to tell it to do. And you got to keep doing it until it gets it through its mind. You're going to do what I'm telling you to do. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Many give up. But in this race that we're running, I'm just going to make it plain today. Perseverance is required. Amen. And when the going gets tough, you don't throw in the towel and say, I believe we'll go somewhere else to get what we need. You say, I'm going to dig my heels in. I've got the spirit. Amen. Wherever I'm at, I can make it with the spirit. Amen. It's a liquid currency. It's the key to living a victorious life in God. Because we said it last week. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. And so as believers, we've been taught the Christian principles that were designed to sustain us spiritually. Of the four things, the first thing that you need to know for the end of the world, if you want to make it, is to remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've been taught. The scripture said in the New Testament, continue in the doctrine that the apostles has given you and Amen. taught you to this day. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Amen. Remember uh, these during duress and remember these things during the times of discouragement. And it'll, it'll help us be encouraged and it'll make us continue in what we're doing former messages, former things that we've read in the word, things that have been taught to us. And as previous flight instruction has helped a pilot know what to do when they come against something mid-flight, previous Christian training and instruction can guide us to what we need to do in times of distress. Have you ever, in a moment when things have been going wrong, all of a sudden recall a scripture? And you say, thank God he revealed that to me a long time ago. Amen. Thank Amen. the Lord for the word in times of distress. Amen. The scripture says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. Now, I think that's talking about more than just in the growth of physically a child to an adult. I think it's talking about spiritual growth Amen. from the time that we're a child to the time we're an adult in the spirit. If we will put it in our hearts, if we'll learn it, if we'll take it in, there'll be a time later on where we will not depart from it no matter what. Amen. Training is the laying down of a track that we can go on. Proper training and teaching. And we all have problems today um, retaining what it is that we read and what we study. Sometimes you can find it very difficult. Uh, maybe if you're reading late at night in the Word and you're reading through some scriptures and you get to the end of it and you, all of a sudden you realize I've not really retained what I just read. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. That can be very difficult sometimes. And so I want to, just a suggestion from Brother Ryan right now. I want you to, instead of trying to maybe, if you have a lot of problems with that, instead of trying to just 
shove a whole bunch of chapters into reading in one day. Focus on small bits of it. And look at it and study it. Don't just read it over. You now meditate on it. You can do that, but really study that out, what that means. And get more out of a small amount of scripture and let God speak to you instead of running through too much. Is that okay? Amen. Let God speak to you through small parts of his word. That's what we're doing this morning. This is, not a, this is not a whole chapter. This is only about 10 verses or so. But we're going to try to get something out of it. Amen? Amen. That's what you need to do. And God will respect that and honor that. Okay? We've got problems with retention, but we, we've got to focus on meditating on the Word and even small parts of Scripture. According to specialists in the area of the brain and memory, the brain retains everything it has ever received. Everything that has ever come before our eyes or we've thought about, you have actually attained that, you retained that. Now, the problem is, why don't we remember everything? The problem for that is recall. Your brain knows it. It's in there. It's stored in a large file cabinet, but the recall of that is the problem. Remembering has everything to do with recall. If we cannot remember something, it's because we cannot recall it. The information is there, but you can't extract it from your memory bank. And evidence of this phenomenon occurs when some incident, aroma, sound, or word causes us to remember something we thought we had long forgotten. Has anybody you ever uh, smelled something? Maybe it was a food that maybe your mother used to cook a long time ago and all of a sudden things come into your mind that you thought you'd forgotten about, you know? Or maybe you see the image of something and it triggers memories in your mind. That's the recall happening. You thought you had forgot it, but it's coming back. And sometimes, everybody knows what I'm talking about here, somebody will sing a song in church that you've not heard a long time and your heart just kind of begins to there's a moving in your heart, you know, and you remember how God touched you when you heard that song long ago. And it seems each note paints a vivid picture of a faded scene that we thought we had lost. God causes us sometimes to remember things. Amen. And he works on us through that. What we've been taught acts as a foundation. Everybody say foundation. Foundation. Upon which we build as we live this Christian life. The proper foundation provides a stability for everything to be built on top of that. If we've been taught right, our chances of surviving spiritually are much greater. Especially if we remember what we've been taught. Now you be honest with me today. Let me ask you. If you go to buy a house. What is one of the absolute first things that you want to find out about that place? What is the state of the foundation? If it's not good, why are we even having a conversation about it? Because if you buy without a good foundation, that house is not going to pan out for you. No matter how good it looks above ground level, somebody. Some people only look above the foundation at how good the house looks. 
and that everything is in order and it appears to be, boy, that's going to be a good stance for me in the community if I'm living in a house like that. But that foundation is cracked and the whole house one day is not going to pan out. Amen. I read a story that I'm going to bring to you right now that mesmerized me and kind of shook me to my core this week. And it, it says a lot about Christian life. And I want, as a matter of fact, I'm just going to read some of it to you. I've got some pictures of this, Brother Josh, if you'll throw them up there. As they built their dream house last year on the shimmering sands of the Gulf of Mexico, this has actually been years ago, but this is the story. Russell King and his nephew, Dr. LeBron Lackey, painstakingly documented every detail of the elevated construction from the 40-foot pilings buried into the ground to the types of screws drilled into the walls. They picked gleaming paints from a palette of shore colors, chose salt-tolerant species to plant in the beach dunes, and christened their creation the Sand Palace of the Mexico Beach. Brother Josh, do you have any of that? Brother Blake may not have gotten any of that. It's okay. They also installed an outdoor security camera. And its video footage became the only view of their property that they had when Hurricane Michael thundered ashore. The most intense storm recorded in the history of the Florida Panhandle. And miles and miles away, they watched the video that this camera shot of this house. And the camera showed a horrifying tunnel of gray fury, worsening by the hour as Dr. Lackey, a 54-year-old radiologist, stared helplessly from more than 400 miles away at the corner of his roof. It would buck like an airplane wing, he said from his residence in Cleveland, Tennessee. I kept expecting to see it tear off, but it didn't. And when the New York Times published an analysis of aerial Im images showing a mile-long stretch of Mexico Beach where at least three-quarters of the buildings were wiped away or damaged, Dr. Lackey saw the Sand Palace still standing, majestic amid all the wreckage, the last surviving beachfront house on his block. We wanted to build for the big one, he said. We just never knew we'd find the big one so fast. The story of how the Sand Palace made it through Michael while most of its neighbors collapsed is one about building in hurricane-prone Florida and how the construction regulations failed to imagine the Category 4 monster's catastrophic destruction. They did not just build their house up to code. They went beyond the code. It ravaged houses up and down the coast. Families that lost everything that they had. Mr. King wouldn't say how much he and Dr. Lackey spent to fortify the beachside home which public records show has been assessed for tax purposes at a value of $400,000. Their architect, Charles A. Gaskin, said that building a house the way that they did roughly doubles the cost per square foot compared with ordinary building practices. The governor of the state, Rick Scott, said every time something like this happens, 
you have to say to yourself, is there something we can do better in the way we build our houses? The governor is saying this. When I saw the hurricane's wind speeds, I knew you could only hope there would be not that many fatalities, said Charlie Danger, a retired Miami-Dade building chief who crusaded for stricter windstorm codes. It pays, listen to this today. He said, it pays to rebuild structures that withstand something like that. You minimize the loss of life and the loss of infrastructure because if you lose the infrastructure, you lose everything. I want to say something to this church this morning. If you lose the structure that you can have in your life on what you build on, the foundation, how you're building your house, you lose everything. Come on, amen. They walked through the property thinking about every minute detail, building it, tailor-made for a storm. Every screw, every beam, every part of this house we're going to make just right. Because Dr. Lackey said, we're thinking that we need to build a house that would survive for generations. The house that you're building in your life right now is not just about you. It's about generations to come. Amen. It cannot just stand and make it to the end of your lifetime. It's got to make it past you and into the young people that we're servicing in this church. That's right. Every beam, every screw's got to be taken into account. Every part of it. They looked at all the houses. And the governor said, we can clean this up maybe in a month. But what the families lost in their heart, I don't know about. The sand castle. Boats going by in the Gulf of Mexico. Would look out to a beach and see flattened houses, flattened houses, flattened houses. And then here is somebody's house that they made sure painstakingly that they built it in such a way where when the storm came, it was going to stand. Everybody else's house may fall. They may look better above surface than our house. But we've built this foundation. We have solidified the corners with concrete. We have, it said that they made the roof, the ceiling and the attic in such a way where air could not get under it to blow the top off. They had breakaway walls designed to come apart but leave the most important part intact. And Dr. King said, it's quoted in this news story, that he would walk into the house where a wall, a breakaway wall should have been, open a door and every piece of furniture is intact, sitting where it should be. Because we have counted the cost and we have made sure that when a storm comes, 
I, I'm talking to some people who you're living in a world that's chaotic. Amen. And the fact is, if you don't build your house, what the home of your family is, in order to withstand a storm, it could be shredded apart one day. Yes. There's all kinds of storms. There, there's storms of false doctrine that's coming around. And oh, people right. are building their houses according to that. And they're building their houses according to just kind of flow with it. But it's going to be torn away when it looks stable. Yes. Amen. But one day, one day, I want somebody to be looking down the beach and see my house that's still standing and is a testament to being a sand castle. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. There's storms in this world. There's chaos. Evil winds that are coming through ready to sweep your home apart. And people are just kind of falling in with it. And, and this, you know, this is not part of what I'm trying to teach or preach or whatever in the world I'm doing this morning. But there's some winds in the world today of racism. And some of it is even swept into churches. But I'm thankful that we had a brother come up here and preach just a month or so ago about multicultural church. Yeah. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, if we can't get along with people here, we're not going to get along with them up there. The scripture said it's going to be of every tongue, every race, every nation gathered together as one. I don't want to get swept away by winds in this world. Amen. I want to have a house that's going to stand. No matter what the winds say, no matter what they tear apart in this world, man, they built this house. Houses beside them are gone. Mr. King said he assumed Michael would spare the town as other hurricanes had done. I said, it'll veer off. They always do. They go to Cancun or someplace. You can build your house and think about, well, nothing's going to happen to my place. I'll just build it. You know, in the way that I've seen, it seems is right. Amen. And, and if, if people come along, you know, they'll, they'll admire my house because of the way that it looks. We got to make sure that everything that we're taking in is building to a stable house. Amen. You let something seep in like Trinity or something like that. It's going to be the one thing that breaks that house away because you have misguided your view of who God is. My God, if we get something right, it better be who God is. Yes. Man, it affects everything else. That's right. Because if you believe that there's three, then you don't believe that that one on the cross was he. Come on. That's good. That is vital. Yes. That we understand that the man that was on the cross is the same one who allowed that tree to grow up that made the wood for the cross. That's vital. That's vital. And it's part of the foundation. Amen. We got to get our foundation right, folks, for, our, for us, for our kids, for the generations yes, to come. And there's sometimes that somebody will just not get that foundation right. And it's not that everything's breaking away, but their house is unstable. The house may not rip to shreds because of it, but you may, you may fall because your floor is uneven. 
I know somebody right now who because of the fact that they did not get grounded in good teaching at the very beginning today, they are so shaken and pushed about here and pushed about there. That foundation never got right. And they started building a house and boy, it was trying to be tall and steep and wonderful when everybody looked at it. But that foundation corrupts every bit of it. That's right. And it's never going to stand. So essentially what's happening today, the best way that I can put it is they'll start building a house and it'll crumble. But they go back to that same rotted foundation and try to build it up again. Amen. And the next one crumbles too. It don't matter how many ways you build that house. If you don't get the foundation right, Come on. it's going to fall. And there's winds all the time. There's shaking all the time. Maybe you felt some shaking even this week, but your house is still here and you're still making it and you're here on Sunday morning to worship God because you made a good foundation. Amen. There will come a day when the scripture says that anything that can be shaken will be shaken, but that which cannot be shaken will not be shaken and will be left to stand. I don't want my house to fall to the ground. Amen. Amen. It's important that we get this foundation right. Amen. We may not know the weakness of our structure until that storm comes. Better build it strong now. I'm going to try to rush along and give you folks some hope. The second thing is to build yourself up in the Holy Ghost. Yes. Amen. Amen. As bodybuilders frequent the gym regularly to develop their physical bodies, soul builders have got to frequent the church. Yes. They got to frequent the altar yes. and the word regularly to build up their spiritual bodies. Maybe you're feeling weak this morning. Maybe you feel kind of a weakness spiritually coming through, even physically coming through you. Can I tell you that the best thing that you can do in this house on a Sunday morning is to build yourself up in the Holy Ghost? Yes, Lord. Now, you notice that that doesn't say let God build you up. Now, it is God because he is the Holy Ghost. But you have to yourself. Take up the initiative that I am going to build myself up in the Holy Ghost. I heard somebody one time. It may have been two years ago. It may have been ten years ago. I'm not going to tell you. Come to this church and say after they've come several times. Literally, the words from their mouth is. Well, when I come in here, I just feel like I can't worship. You feel like you can't worship. And they ended up not being here anymore. But you know what was told to them? You not being able to worship is not God's fault and it's not this church's fault. If you want to worship, you can worship. Amen. Because worship is not really as much dependent on God. We know he's good and he deserves the worship. Really the only question is, am I going to worship? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You can worship. You can build yourself up in the Holy Ghost. Yes. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't need to have a cheerleader, somebody telling me it's time to build myself up in the Holy Ghost. There's got to come a time when I get off the milk and get on the meat and say, it's my responsibility to build myself up in the Holy Ghost. If you can't do that here, you're not going to be able to do it somewhere else. And I promise you, wherever that person's at, they're not able to worship like they need to now if they wasn't able to do it here. There's nothing hindering anybody. The only thing that hinders us is ourselves. That's right. Amen. Most of the time, that's what hinders us from getting to that next point in God. Amen. Amen. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this fad that's just spread across young people today of like really, really admiring of the image of ourselves, you know, people taking selfies every five seconds. You know, we got a photo album of our phone that is just selfies, praise God. And, and we compare them over the years. Um, it's just, it, it, it's amazing how times have changed, you know. But one of the biggest things is comparing the physique and admiring the physique of oneself. Especially somebody who's into, into that body building. And, you know, they will every single day. Take a look at the state of their body and where they've gotten to, if they've progressed any or if they're faltering any in the mirror. Oh, but what about the person that's building their spirit? Come on. Do we take any time to look into the mirror and see and be honest with ourselves? Have we become stagnant? Where is my soul? Where is my spirit? Can I say that I've progressed? Can I say that I have built myself up in the Holy Ghost? And it's not done overnight. You'll never find an apostolic or a Christian pillar that was made overnight. This is the type of thing that is little by little, day after day, building up the body spiritually. You know, I, I was listening to a story that somebody wrote a book about. Maybe you've heard the company that was called Balco. Anybody ever hear that before? Balco? Well, I'm going to connect it real quick for you. In the early 2000s, when there was a huge outbreak and interest in steroids used in the sports world and major icons that were using it, such as Barry Bonds, Olympic runners, many, many sports Professionals, some of them we'll never even know about. But it broke out in the early 2000s. Most of it was from one company called Balco. And they had created the drugs for these sports professionals in such a way where they could not be discovered at the time. And they profiled as like a vitamin company. But they were giving steroids to these people. Illegal chemicals that could enhance the physique, the performance, the illegal way to build themselves up. The only legal way to do it in fitness is a regular regimen of exercise and strength training. And we could probably learn something from this because to build up ourselves in the Holy Ghost, we can only do it. This is tough. This, this is not something that just comes easily to the ears, okay? The only way that you will ever do it legally, the right way, acceptable to God, is little by little, 
faithfulness, every service, every offering that you can, every time to read your Bible, prayer, it's going to take that. Amen. There's not a quick jump up that's going to get you where you need to be in that mirror spiritually. It's only going to happen because every day you've said, I'm going to do what God is asking me to do. I'm going to live how God is wanting me to live. Amen. And it'll build a pillar. Somebody who God can admire. The Holy Ghost is called the comforter. The one called alongside the help. And we understand scripturally that this helper is Jesus himself. When he comes into our lives, we've got something that will develop us spiritually if we'll let him do it. The third thing, and I'm hurrying along. Sister Kim, would you come to the piano and give everybody some hope today? <laughs> Keep yourself in the love of God. You hear me this morning? Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, this scripture actually says, this is all in our text today. You can find these things in it. It's really commanding. It says, you keep yourself in the love of God. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Keep yourself in the love of God. Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mama and daddy's not going to do it for you. Pastor's not going to do it for you. Person on the pew next to you, as much as you may love them, they're not going to bring you into heaven by their own hand. It's got to be our own salvation with fear and trembling. When that scripture says, seek out your own salvation, it's not saying that there's 50 different ways to get to God. We need to debunk that real quickly today. There's one way, one way to get to God. Amen. But it has to be traveled on your own. We're going to do it together. But you personally have to keep yourself in the love of God. Although the word says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them for in doing this, Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Jesus also said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And First Peter says, And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that we have to do in this plan for the end of the age. How many know the end of the age is coming quickly? The fourth thing is that we have to, beyond all else, persevere to the end. We got to persevere to the end. I don't know how many times I've said it up here before you, but Brother Shelton would tell his kids, stay with the ship. Stay with the ship. Yes, it's going to get tough. Newsflash, living for God is not roses all the time. You're going to meet some struggle in your life. You're going to be in times where you're like, God's not saying anything to me. And you're going to feel discouraged. But what do you do? You don't jump ship. You don't try to find another ship. 
This is one ship to one destination. It's going to take faithfulness. It's going to take faithfulness. Repentance is turning around on the road of life to go in one direction and not stopping. When you repent, you receive the Holy Ghost and you're baptized. Actually, you're not completely saved at that point because the end has not come. He that shall endure to the end. You set yourself on a trajectory to be saved is what you've done. And you got to stay on that road. Amen. If a person is eastbound on Interstate 70 in St. Louis, headed for Columbus, Ohio, he's still in Missouri, even though he's headed toward Columbus. You set yourself on a track to get there. Oh, but there's a road that you got to travel. And I don't want to miss out on the road because I feel like, well, I've had my moment of salvation. I want to experience all of living for God. I want to see what else God can build onto my life because salvation is the foundation. This is all part of the foundation. Amen. Enduring to the end is our goal. Paul said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. It's not just one day you did a sprint. Well, hallelujah. I made it. No, we got to run because there's going to come a day where if you run right and stay in that direction, you will obtain. You will obtain greatly. What are you going to obtain? What, what, what am I running for? What am I staying in one direction for all of my life for? Eternal life. Eternal life. Sometimes we got to get our mind beyond the fact that we're living in this world and that there is a world to come Amen. that we're living for that's going to be worth all the struggle. Many years ago, a common laborer in a distant state received a letter from his father in law telling him of a rich ore strike in his area. And he excitedly made his way to his father-in-law's place and began to make serious plans to dig and get rich. And the ore was so shallow, so attainable, that you could dig with a shovel and get it that fast to mine it. And so he and his friend dug and dug but found no ore. And after days of disappointment, he decided to give up and to return home. And a few days after he returned home, he received a letter from his father-in-law stating that another man had come along and began to dig in the same <coughs> hole and made a rich strike in just a few inches. He gave up too quick. How often do we give up when we are so close to our answer? I wonder how often do we just kind of back away if God hadn't dropped on us the prophecy or if God hadn't dropped on us the immediate answer it's easy to get discouraged and we just kind of move back and say well if God wants to do it he'll do it the Lord admires 
the perseverers. The ones who their house is on the edge of the ocean and people who have lost their homes are running through and they're trying to dig out any possessions that they have left from the wreckage. And then they come upon a story called it a sand palace that somebody over a long painstaking period of time put together every bolt, every beam, every upright to withstand a storm. I want my house to withstand the storms that come along in life. I wonder if I could get a little participation this morning. If, if I could get just a waving of the hand. If you could say that my house has encountered a storm before. Could you just wave your hand if that's happened? I'm talking in life. You, you, you've been met with a storm. And, and it's slapped up against the side of your house. And maybe you heard the siding kind of rattle. And you kind of got worried about if it was going to rip away or not. But I wonder if I've also got some people, maybe some elders in this room, who could say that when the storm passed, my house was still standing. Amen. Why was it still standing? Because I built it on apostolic doctrine. Why was it still standing? Because we built it the way you're supposed to build it. Amen. We didn't build it just according to aesthetics or what the world thinks looks good. It was built to stand. <coughs> Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. You can have a house like that. But it all starts with every simple moment, every moment in the Holy Ghost, every single day, every single time. You've got an opportunity to build. You can build this morning. Maybe you don't even have the foundation yet. We can help you build it up right. Amen. We can help you get into a spot where God will help you build it right. But it only comes in those moments in the Holy Ghost. Can we stand this morning? Amen. Boy, I think of some people. I think of some people that have been through a storm in their time. More storms than I can account for. More storms than I've ever experienced. Much worse storms than I've ever had. <laughs> but even if God took them from us and we don't have them with us here today, you don't see them sitting on the pew next to you, oh, you still remember how that house stood. I remember people in the middle of tornadoes on Sundays that happened here at the church that were in houses around us that they left their home behind with their kids to get into this building because they understood if any place is going to stay in this community it's probably that church that was built not too long ago you know what else I believe I tend to believe that they understand there's some spiritual stability in this church can I help you out today if you want the house of your family, the house of generations to stand, you have found yourself in the right place to do it. It can stand if you build it according to what God does in us, even in this room. Amen. I wonder if we could lift our hands right now and just let God begin to speak to us. I believe He's already speaking. I believe He's already touching some lives today and maybe motivating you to build up your house.